The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome to the Brandon Peters Show and our continued uh, trek through the summer of 93 at 30 series. It's the summer of 93 at 30. This is a weekend by weekend look at the movies released during the summer of 1993. And as always with me for this from the rap, we have Scott Mendelson. That's not going to happen. And... The host of... Did I, did I do it? Did I make it a catchphrase? That's not no? going to happen? Okay. All right. Well, what oh, is going to happen? Remind, remind me when we start talking about In the Line of Fire. All right. Well, in this line of fire, our next guest is from Out Now with Aaron and Abe, and he also writes for We Live Entertainment. He's also the senior editor there. Uh, Variety and com. It's Aaron New World. Hey. Hello, hello. All right. Today we're discussing the weekend that was July 9th through the 11th, 1993. We have three films to discuss. Returning this week for the second week in a row in movies, Gary Busey and Tobin Gary Bell, all, also known as the Boys of Summer. <laughs> <laughs> How did I not make the connection? Oh, yeah. The Busey part I knew, but the Tobin part I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Tobin the Tobin part I remembered. I, did, I didn't. Yeah. Two weeks in a row. The audience must have been like the Golden goodness. Boys. Yeah. They both had their, you know, you know, like, Gary was that, having that mustache, Tobin with the hair. You know, oh. After this week, America was like, I got to pay attention to that weird character actor so I can accidentally spoil myself for a horror movie that's coming out in about 11 years. Yeah, if you were there in the summer of 93, Saul was no surprise to you. Exactly. If you've also never seen it and listened to this episode, well, <laughs> Saul is no longer a surprise for you. But yeah, no, that, that was a nice little fun connection, back to back weeks. Um, who would win the box office battle this week between them? They split off as they both were in the firm last week. Um, Tobin, like, he's like, gets a promotion. Uh, from his position in the movie last week to this one, we'll talk about that. Um, Isn't it wild that Busey's not in a Jurassic movie? <laughs> there's still time for his son. Yeah, there's still time for his son. His son got into a Predator movie in a Jurassic type movie type role. So that is true, and an Alien movie. Yeah, just with you know troopers instead of xenomorphs. <laughs> right, right. The the alien that fought the or the aliens is the movie he was in. One had a queen, one had a brain bug. Right, yeah. Beauty. Everyone's favorite Tomcat. So, uh, as always, when we start off the show, we'll begin with the news. When I wake up, don't you know I'm gonna be 
I'm gonna be the man who brings the news to you. He's been with the ball club since the start of the year. There's a drive to left field. It's hit deep. It is gone. Holy Toledo. Has anyone ever done that? Ricky Henderson has homered to open the A's first inning for the second time in this doubleheader. And the A's lead one to nothing. Starting us off on July 5th, one of our favorite recurring guest stars of out of this out now i was gonna say of the the summer of series ricky henderson leads off both games of oakland's doubleheader versus cleveland with home runs the first time since 1913 folks that's 80 years it's mr ricky henderson breaking all sorts of records as we podcast about movies going on during summers he's like remember baseball and we do <laughs> pete <laughs> rose fair, is gone at this time so he's not going to show up in the summer unless he gets arrested or has some sort of <laughs> thing happen you could bet on that <laughs> abe, abe has gotten ricky henderson on the show quite a bit for out now so that is there we go yeah that makes sense he used to be a frequent guest the 2013 he was all <laughs> over the place <laughs> really likes guy Ritchie movies he's good he'll steal your heart and second base <laughs> All right. Also, that same day that Ricky Henderson hit those two home runs in a doubleheader to start the games. Starting her career off, Bjork releases her first solo album titled Debut. Cute. That's very Bjork. Very Bjork. Uh, And then that same day, Richard uh, Chalimo runs a world record 10 kilometers at 27... uh, 0790.91. So I'm going to guess it's 27 seconds. Seven what, was the, what was the race? Sorry. 27 colon. Race? Oh, uh, just a world record 10 kilometer. The 10 kilometer. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and also five days later, uh, Yobez uh, Ondieki breaks that record with 265838. Sorry, this Richard. Sucked for the first guy. Was a cool five days for Richard Salimo. <laughs> it's like the Ghostbusters two of sprint runners. Yeah, the best competing. Exactly day. that example. Right. <laughs> the, the the best competing day of his life and the worst spectating day of his life. Five days apart. Uh, on July sixth, uh, the next day. So we have moved days from that July fifth. Uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. gives notice of quitting as ADA in Manhattan. Au revoir. Uh, on July 7th, Prodigy announces it will offer Cox newspapers. Yay. And huh? last. Yeah. Wait, hold on. What? what does this mean? I don't know. I think Prodigy, like, I think this might be like the first digital newspaper. Prodigy was a like, very. It was like a. First generation online bulletin like, board type thing, yeah, like AOL. Like AOL. So, from my perspective as a '90s child, I heard Prodigy something like the electronic band. Oh, Firestarter, the, yeah. Uh, offered the Cox cable service that I have <laughs> in my area. Like, <laughs> like what, what combination is this? What's happening here? Beat, beat the pressure. Come watch my cable, and I'll test you. No. Um, you youngins gather around, and I'll tell you the tale of Prodigy at Netscape. Anyway, <laughs> newspaper. I'm not going to tell you show. the tale. Uh, yeah. So on July 11th at the U.S. Senior Open Men's Golf Cherry Hills CC 
Jack Nicholas wins by one stroke ahead of Tom Weisskopf for his second U.S. senior title. That's the old guys one. So one Jack three Nicholas. golfers I actually heard of of that period. Right. All pre all in the pre Tiger era of oh, it, him, it Lee like, Trevino and Mr. Ice Tea and Lemonade himself, Arnold Palmer. Palmer. You remember Greg Norman, the shark? Mm. I knew Greg Norman. Greg Norman. Yeah, he had a computer game series. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Norman. He was like huge and then just my, disappeared. My dad's a huge golfer, so I, I know yeah. a lot about golfers <laughs> over the years. Greg Norman. And then there was the guy with the socks. What's his name? Argyle. I don't remember. Huh? Argyle. <laughs> There's a guy. There's a guy in the old school like socks when it wasn't cool. Um, Cubs. No, I can't remember. Moving on. Our uh, our shoot de- Gavin. <laughs> uh, our guest this week, uh, Harrison Salisbury, an American journalist and author. Um, Princess Di's grandma, Ruth Lady Fermoy, passes away. Uh, singer Mia Zapata. Uh, Will Rogers Jr. dies of suicide. Ooh. Uh, Sam Rolf, a screenwriter and jazz musician, Mario Bauza. Oh, Russian cosmonaut Sergei Vazavikov. He died. Oh, yeah. And then birthdays this week. Nobody. So if you had your birthday this week, insert your name here. You're a part of the summer of 93 at 30, but there were no. Uh, famous people birthdays that happened in this week that are known. Everybody, everybody maybe that, born. Maybe that person's been yeah, well I can't say maybe that person's being born today because these are people born this week of 1993. So unless... Yeah, but everybody I'm just saying, everybody that's born this specific week in 1993 yes. you are not special. Yeah, no. Harsh. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to subscribe. Share on the internet. Your favorite, like or die. The people born the week, the next week, and the week before. Remember, remember, better than you to spread this around on Mastodon (laughs) so everyone can see it. So it's so mean. (laughs) (laughs) You guy broke Scott. (laughs) Oh gosh, Uh, it's my fault for taking a sip. (laughs) Speaking of broke. Summer of '93. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of broke, something that you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I guess that how we'll get to weekend of birdies too. That's the worst fucking segue you've. And that's saying something, Brandon. That really is. I don't try to make good ones, Scott. I'm committed to making the worst ones possible. Thank you. Know, that was what your mantra was on the set. They were not. Guys, don't fix guys, it, guys. It's weekend of birdies too. We don't need to fix anything. <laughs> Yes. All right. <laughs> this summer, come to an island paradise hey. for a weekend of fun. A weekend with Bernie. Oh. He keeps going and going and going. Bernie? Paris Island? Weekend at Bernie's, too. It just wouldn't be summer without Bernie. Rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you. So this one is <laughs> written and directed by Robert Klein. So he responsible for this movie. Owns the uh, series. Starring Andrew McCarthy, Jonathan Silverman, Terry Kaiser, Troy Beyer, Barry Bostwick, Steve James. I love Steve James. Uh, 
Tom Wright, Novella Nelson, and Samantha Phillips. Uh, Larry and Richard use a voodoo revived corpse to track down hidden money to clear their names. That corpse is still their boss, Bernie. Um, first off, anybody rewatch Weekend at Bernie's one yes. in preparation for this? Me too. I, 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 Wait, I we, made the sacrifice. This is a professional podcast, Brandon. Yeah. All right. All right. Quick thoughts on Weekend at Bernie's. Did we one. watch Weekend at Bernie's one again? Scott, of course we did. First of all, Scott, it's for- based on a book, which I think is hysterical. Ah. It's based on like a like a fifty year old French novel or something. Oh wow. Okay. Which probably um, reads hilarious. Yeah. The, the the first one, obviously. And watching the first one. Okay, I'm not going to say it's good because it's not in any way, shape, or form. But it's frustrating because you get to the third act. And they realize that, oh, God, Bernie wanted to have us killed, mm-hmm. but the hitman can't kill us while Bernie's around. Ergo, to keep ourselves alive, we have to keep Bernie around with us. And, like, that's the hook for the whole movie. If you had done that as your primary whatever, it would have given them an interesting and compelling and sympathetic reason to pretend that Bernie's alive the entire movie. Because as it is, most of the movie is just him, you know, pretending that he's around just so they can be assholes. My thought is so different because it's like they in the first, the end of the first act, they kill Bernie. And my thought yes. is, oh, the movie's over. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing left here. <laughs> in a different movie, they'd arrive and be like, oh, he died. I guess we'll call somebody. The end. There's no like, there's no natural way to give to like the rest of this except for the chicanery that takes place after. Well, I watched it. I forgot he was trying to have them killed when I watched it. I, oh, like, I remember that for, oh, for sure. Right. That's one of the few things I remember because it's such I, a fun transition. Yeah. Because my, my, I have to think like, well, why would they be down there with him? Like, oh, because he wants to murder them. Like, it just like, whenever I think of Weekend and Bernie, it's like, well, that yeah, two plus two, obviously. Damn, he's trying to murder them. Well, I didn't remember the killer guy being Don Kofka from Return of the Living Dead and stuff. I was oh, like, that's, oh, that's, that's that awesome. Okay. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. He did uh, look familiar. Okay, that's yeah. yeah, that's a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, Don Kofka. So yeah, and I watched first. I'm like, man, this this Andrew McCarthy fella currently making a Brat Pack documentary. Uh-huh. Um, he is responsible for being like the star of this and Mannequin, two movies that were big hits and very very. Of their time that you go back and question who said this was great idea movies. <laughs> he owns two of them, but like he didn't come back for the sequel to the other one. But it's crazy that he superior sequel to mannequin. And you wonder, it's like, where did Andrew McCarthy go after the 90s? Well, look what he was in. You know, isn't it wild that and now granted, I'm not the biggest John Hughes guy, but like McCarthy was like like the the handsome guy right he was like the stud in some of these wasn't he before this he was like yeah. that he was well he was like that nerdy kind of stud guy like, but he was still like romantic lead compared to oh yeah who's where he's very much like the side like more of the compared to to jonathan like he's more of the sidekick uh, rascally wacky one by comparison it's just, it's just it's weird to me that he went from being like this is like the straight arrow and now he's like be all over the place. Where's the louder shirts guy? Yeah, he seems like the potential. He's got the potential to play John Cusack parts, not as good as John Cusack. Like that's yeah, what- like if yeah. you can't get Cusack, you can't, you can't get your McCarthy. Like, that's what it's like now. It's just yeah, weird that it's yeah. trans- it seems like a downward transition from him. Where it's like, yeah. how did this? I guess unless you just wanted to do it, which is like, yeah, fine. Embrace your funny side. That's that's fun. 
Yeah, like he's I not mean, me. He's terrible in these movies, but I mean, still, yeah. it's, it's like, like I get the idea. Like, and he's not like he's not bad. Like he's terrible in the, in the stuff, but like he's not bad in other stuff. I said like he's actually he's okay in Mannequin, but like like Saint Elmo's Fire, he's in that one, right? I'm not accidentally yeah. placing yeah. him in that. You know he's, what? No, it he's is pretty like, good uh, in that one, but it, it, it's like they have um oh what's his name. Uh, but it's like the it's like they did wanted a new duo from from American Werewolf, Griffin Dunn, and what's the other? What was the other one? Um, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Where's my? <laughs> where's my American Werewolf? It feels like they wanted that dynamic, but it's like, mm-hmm. no, but we'll you know we'll do it in a in a in an island and no werewolves, but we'll still have like two comedic Jews. Basically, is like the whole idea. <laughs> Yeah, so oh. so we get British one. I mean, I, I you know Terry Kaiser's. He was like a known presence, and he, kudos to him for if he was really the dead guy the whole movie doing it. And uh, you know, David not there we go. Got it. He's David fun not. when he's alive. Yeah, you know, for I think obvious reasons. Like, he's good in a lot of things. He's a fun yeah. little ham actor. Like uh, in within the realm of these, we should really talk about the sequel. <laughs> We're talking a lot about the right, first yeah. one. In the realm of these movies. He's doing a good job of being what he needs to be. I mean, I can't imagine that being easy. I get that there's a mix of like prop Bernies and whatnot, but like for being a for having a silent dead performance, I don't know what a better version of that's supposed to be. Yeah, especially in this sequel, that's nonsense. But like, I mean, what else do you as a body? Like, this is the thing. Like, what do you do differently? Yeah. No, I mean it's it's for me the funniest thing about Weekend and Bernies too is that it absolutely expects you to have seen Weekend at Bernie's 1. Well, it's like a direct, it follows it like yeah, right off the it's bat. It's like, a, I mean, it's, if any movie, you know, I'm, I'm glad I watched the first one first because, wow, it you you jumped right in like 10 seconds later. But yeah, also, Scott would have been really did, lost. Where did Catherine Mary Stewart go? Where yeah. did she go? Like, not a the, the, hit, the hitman got her. One of the, be- <laughs> one of the best, one of the best things about the first movie, gone. We don't, we're not going to bring her back. Sorry, we could do a different dead body or something, but no, we got to get that Kaiser back. Which, granted, that's the face of the franchise. Let's it's a Bernie, but like Catherine Mary Stewart, she couldn't go with them to the islands. Or I looked up you, her. Brad, you sound ridiculous right now. <laughs> no, like she could not have. The hitman is not, it's murdered not like, her in between movies. <laughs> it, it's not like they gave Silverman like another romantic interest. The romantic interest goes to McCarthy this time. Like that's. It's I don't know. I was just like, where is she at? Why didn't they ask Brandon, her? The sequel is so jam packed. Where's the where's the room? Show me where the room is for this character. She's in Night of the Comet and The Last Starfighter. What else is Silverman in? You remember him from Weekend at Bernie's and the single guy from the the nineties that said I do remember the same strangely That's, when I read that credit, I was like, yes. yeah. I remember. Why aren't you on the phone? Like we need Catherine Mary Stewart. That she's the magic Brandon, of the first movie. We get a burning through needs to be a tight 120, one hour and 25 minutes. You're like, I want a one hour and 31 minute movie. And I'm like, no, thank you, sir. That is or too- maybe, maybe she said, director Ted Ketchup isn't coming back. The the man, the, that guy, he's not. Man, oh. man in his underwear in the first movie. <laughs> right. That's Which, his cameo. <laughs> I will not stand for this Robert Klein ego trip making himself director. You know, I mean, this guy who, who did what? Uh, he did National Lampoon's European Vacation, the aka Rusty, the European tour, um, and like only directed like four things. Yeah, they hired someone that knew what they were doing to really get out the gold of the sequel. Right. That's what- <laughs> 
the, you know, we we hired the guy that directed fucking First Blood and Uncommon Valor for the first one. Right. You know, yeah. let's get somebody to notice that's talent. They, they, they looked at that and they said, yeah, hiring the guy from First Blood led to not enough comedy. We yeah. need more comedy. We need it now. Let's get European vacation in here. Let's do Weekend at Bernie's 2 four years later because the people are demanding it. They can't go two steps out of the street without being like, there's Bernie's on TV again. When are we getting that sequel that naturally lends itself to one? Like, we need to do... Like, we need this. Just, I'm, I'm glad Clayne is back here, but imagine being some, like, struggling guy trying to get a gig and your first thing is ch- tasked with making a sequel the weekend of Bernie's. So they, they get the original guy back, so that's good. But this is 90. This is 90. I'm, I'm happy this is breaking away from our regular format from how we do this. this so this is, 90, this is 93. What scenes are see what good stuff from this movie are you gonna is, talk about? It's terrible. I mean Scott, this Scott, it makes the first Scott, one look good. Scott, yes. I, did you you didn't see this in theaters, did you? No. But were you like uh, when, when it was coming out did they were they brand you can add this to the soup, but like are they advertising this and like are you well aware that like not only is Bernie specifically back, but that it's like voodoo that's possessed him? Or are you just going to the theater being like what what could have per- per- made the sequel possible? My, like, I honestly don't remember. My my uh, my memory honestly serves as it's one of those that back in the day you could tell was gonna be a bad movie because the trailers and stuff were really short and had that crappy uh, voiceover guy. It was like, oh, it's Weekend at Bernie's too. They're back. Good, good, done. That's it. Like that. It was like the quickest trailer. Starts Friday, but like that. It was like you could tell back in the day when like, oh, I don't know, if this is good because you could tell by the quality of the trailer that somebody like this probably isn't good. Like, it, I mean, it got a primo summer spot. Clearly, somebody thought it was gonna rake in the dough. Well, you make more money, and it's you know a sequel, so it's like, all right, yeah. And they're like, guys, there. where can we put this? I don't know, Oscar season. Not good enough. Where can we put this after Fourth of July? Fucking perfect. Let's get this going right away. I mean, what 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 comedies do we have right now going on? So I mean, maybe uh, it was uh, this... in the line of fire is obviously opening steps. Yeah, it. it's hilarious. Uh, I mean, there's, there's nothing like it last out week. there. There's son-in-law maybe that's like the only thing, and that wasn't a proven. So yeah, rookie for the year was for kids. That's right for now, kids. you're telling me this, it's not. Long. It's sleepless in Seattle, and it aren't in the same wheelhouse. Like there's. Yeah. there's but based on the show we've been doing, it's been the summer of comedies. It's <laughs> Super Mario Brothers, Dave in the Line of Fire, as already mentioned. Hot yeah. Shots Part Two, Sliver. <laughs> yes, but no, like this is yeah. guilty as sin. I don't know, like oh. I these these two poor bastards roped into doing a sequel. I, I and there's nothing. Oh yeah, they're they yeah they really had to turn out all so many A projects in right. favor of instead. They they really didn't luck out. Like, I mean, if this, this is, is all they were crazy. given. Like, like this is all we Moral. got. Like, um, I, it's no, I it's mean, it's 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 so bad that it's almost confusing. Yeah, because no, it's like I, I shouldn't be confused <laughs> by what I'm seeing on screen here. <laughs> and they, they can't even get jokes right. They can't even get. There's a scene where they have Bernie on the boat and he's tied up and he falls off the back of it and they're dragging him. And everybody's like, ooh, and they don't notice. Why didn't they make Bernie like accidentally pop up like he's skiing on his feet? That would have been funnier. Like they can't even get jokes right in this. Like Brandon, there's this stuff is, that's this there. Is like a, this is a low budget movie here. We can't just be throwing visual effects money on the props that have to sit on water ski. You know, hard is to film a dead body in water. And man, they have to kill a lot of people to be stuntmen. You get a real skier that just stays stiff. I don't know, but like. Yeah, I, it's just I don't know. There's nothing. Mem- it's hard to pay attention I, I to believe, this movie. I believe Klein. What's his name? Klein. Klein. 
Clayne. Clayne. Because the joke is necessary. I believe Clayne went stride for authenticity. So he's going to be like, let me get a fake body, put it on water skis. He said, real body or nothing. And Terry Kaiser was like, I can't do water ski. I only ski surf. And so, yeah, he was he was not. Like, he's like, thanks, guys. Listen, guys, what if what if weekend at Bernie's, but serpent in the rainbow? Think about it. Exactly. Think Pretty about much. it. Yes. Pullman should have had a cameo. That's what I'm hearing. Would have been great. It's, what? Yeah. It should have been Barry Boswick. That's what I. That's, Barry Boswick. Yeah, he could have been Barry Boswick. Barry Boswick way out of place in this movie. <laughs> Barry Boswick's in here like it's fun, right, guys? On set, Barry, you know, like Barry Boswick's in here being like Eugene Levy was busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Barry Boswick, Boswick has Eugene Levy in Splash, but less hairy. Yeah, this is one of those movies you forgot Barry Boswick was in. Like, oh, oh so most, and movies. he's grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which hey Scott Barry Boswick is back because we did Megaforce with him. We're doing oh, we're doing his finest movies. We did Megaforce with him in summer. I love no, the return. No wonder he stayed on Spin City for as long as humanly possible. Yeah, which and so, he's quite fun on that. Don't get me wrong, but you know it's it's. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's time. Um, so there is a great. The one great thing in this movie is that someone had to animated opening credit sequence yeah, that's why i like yeah like the christmas yeah. vacation the old school I, I like that 90s movies are like we should have an edit now that means somebody had to like spend time on a project for weekend at bernie's too and i'm, <laughs> I'm very like grateful that happened because the animation is pretty solid so i looked this up because i needed to i was like who did the animation for weekend at bernie's mm-hmm. i hope they had a long historic career and i found that person his name was michael butkus you know, okay he owns off police studios and I'm actually going to bring him into the zoom call right now to talk. To- I'm not going to do that. That's right. No. <laughs> <laughs> Clayne was really specific about how we treated the Bernie. Bernie is no joke. You have to run through a committee to how he's going to move and do. Th- um, yeah. You know that this movie serves to make like the butt of, you know, weekend of Bernie's is kind of like a butt of a jokes movie or something. This it only serves like to dare. make it worse. This only makes serves to make it worse. Like no, it, yeah. it feels it feels like some studio exec pitched this as a dare and they made the first one. And then like to get back at them because it made money, they're like, okay, do it again. And he did, like, just to like prove that he could. It, it didn't work out box office. <laughs> But you know, basically, but he can still point it and say, like, you thought I couldn't do it. <laughs> but here it is. We I mean, can't birdies too. There's a mentality like that you gotta live in that era. And so I won't like I remember I think my family we rented Weekend of Birdies one on VHS or whatever. We got some giggles out of it, and then we went on. I I think I watched like- I think I watched two on my own, but like it's kind of one of those movies that looking back now, I was like, what were we thinking back then? Like, it, it, that's it's the epitome <laughs> of, of, of yuppie comedy Hollywood in right. the 80s. That's what the yeah. first one is for sure. It's like it's the natural endpoint of right. what to what extent can you go as far as eighties excess when it comes to Wall Street guys and that kind of comedy. It's like yeah. make the most crass thing possible, even though it's really low brow. But when you think about the things that actually happen to Weekend Birdies, like this is t- like there's like the horrible things that are implied that happen but with Bernie and the people involved. It's like this is wild to think about. Then the second, <laughs> one, the second one, if anything, walks it back. To a degree, a little bit, because the, because the voodoo thing is so much more. I'm not going to say kid friendly, but it certainly hits a certain. It's more fantastical. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, exactly. There's magic now, <laughs> so and, and music. Unless I missed it, nobody has sex with a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> nope, he doesn't have some old fling down there. Uh, so by the way, this movie is. I don't think we actually said this. This movie's bad. This is a bad. Oh movie. yeah, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> oh god, it's <laughs> awful. This, this is one of the. This isn't like 
There's no secret gem of a comedy in here. There's no higher calling going on. There's no secret like, well, this is what it's really about. There's no like, actually, this guy's actually really good at it. Everybody top to bottom is bad in this movie. This is the (laughs) this is the comedic house of cards for this summer. (laughs) And this is you know, speaking of walking back, this is another example of you have a PG thirteen original that spawns a PG rated sequel. Mm-hmm. So they clearly knew that the only people that really enjoyed this film were very young. The first film were very young children. And that yeah. certainly explains the the emphasis on, I mean, even just in comparison to the first one, it's more of a farce. It's more yeah. slapstick. There's more Bernie yeah. because he's voodoo dancing all over the place. A dance that spawned a real dance. Yeah. Like, and I mean, <laughs> if you like the, the two leads in the last one, they become like unlikable in this one. Like they're, they're just like, oh, okay, I'm just going to they're just like there's nowhere because, to go like, with them. They're just doing because the Silverman, same shit. like Silverman's the ostensibly the hero of the first movie, where McCarthy's like clearly the sidekick, and, now and they're try- trying to switch it. They try to switch work. it, which ends it, it ends up more leveling it off of anything. Uh, but it, but there's no like arc for what Richard. There's no there's nothing but <laughs> McCarthy's character is not the kind of guy that like leads this thing. So it's like mm-hmm. oh, this does not work. It's just like weirdly off giving him a you know a romantic partner uh giving him more urgency to the plot like trying to make things matter like it's just this is miserable it's <laughs> like, bad. this is like yeah this and, is and you have like the two oh my god you have the two black guys that are like mobsters or whatever or like involved in the crime thing that are like we got to get bernie's money <laughs> and they're bad and there's a treasure map plot in this movie that's also terrible <laughs> yeah yeah uh now there's a lot of like high profile big studio movies studio movies and stuff over the years that people like shower with oh so bad so awful and you watch it it's like eh, it's just more mediocre or lame this is really lives up to that it's oh yeah awful. This is... it's awful like there's I, so much shoe leather to get to bernie them and another tropical paradise <laughs> like that's a, there's so much work involved to be like we need to get these guys back to the beach with bernie to make it like the first one and we're going to take 40 minutes to do that <laughs> like it's so much work to, because so the, plot is, the plotting's so intricate like you said it's so tied to the first movie that we was like we need to wrap up all these loose ends except for the female leaving the first movie um, so we just like get them back up as if if, like the mechanics involved to make this happen are so important like there's a movie version of this where you don't ship the body back to new york to begin with you just leave it somewhere in the hamptons or like in the in the island there where they it's i guess it's supposed to be new york but it's like north carolina they thought whatever like so there's so much effort being like we got to get it back to the city first which doesn't pay off anything because there's no comedy there then we finally get back to the beach mm-hmm. Where there's still no comedy, but at least it feels familiar, and it's it's so overworked. There's so much going on that does uh, not matter. Uh, yeah. Uh, in my perusing of things, I uh, I vaguely remember this, but they did announce a third film in 2016 called Weekend at Bernie's Three: The Corpse Awakens, but it never Christ. got past early development stages. Though I wonder you, why you can read the script online. I'm sure Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman would have come back. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see the six part series on Crackle. Brandon, and, and, why didn't you read the script before this podcast? <laughs> I have enough. I have enough toilet paper in my home. I didn't. <laughs> you can do a dramatic reading, yeah. but it's quadruple ply. 
Yeah, maybe we'll do an online read for an episode of Weekend of Bernie's Three: The Corpse Awakens. Probably, if anything, we could write our own Weekend of Bernie's Three. <laughs> it's gonna be like dark and gritty and a deconstruction of the uh, original fable yeah. with lots of post nine eleven security state. It, it takes in. place in some sort of afterlife, and Bernie talk about how like trouble the like and all this it make it deep it's, and dark and it's going to be mad god except it's three of them it's the two holding the <laughs> and they're going through the underworld trying to get to the end oh my gosh oh my god i'm done with weekend of birdies too you guys oh, we don't want to yeah, you know, i have another like 20 minutes to talk about this movie is that not good no we we'll do on. that for the patreon subscribers <laughs> um, Aaron's 20 minutes of Weekend is Birdies 2. And then you click, it's like, I was just joking. I didn't have anything else, but thanks for paying. No, I wrote down a lot of names to do a lot of bits involving people I could have gotten this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Terry Kaiser, you're a gem, but man. And he's in Mannequin 2. He's the the uh, the villain in Mannequin 2. Good oh. for him. That poor bastard. All right. Uh and Terry Kaiser innocent. He's not even in the <laughs> he's not even in the good mannequin movie. Yeah, the guy's done nothing wrong. <laughs> no. And he's in the well, like worst Jason movies. It's poor bastard. Poor bastard. All right. Um, but let's move on to the TV ratings here from Weekend of Birdies 2. He reported racism in the U.S. Army. Then he was shot by a fellow soldier. The Army calls it an accident. What really happened? An all-new Dateline NBC. Tuesday. This week in the Nielsen ratings, uh, we have number one, Home Improvement on ABC. Splitting the difference, though, 60 Minutes on CBS comes in second, then Roseanne on ABC in third. It's another news week. It's primetime live on ABC and 2020 on a- uh, ABC are number four and five. Coach is number six on ABC. On CBS, Scott was watching Murder She Wrote, which was I was not. seventh. Next, okay, we have a TV movie in number eight called Absolute Strangers. So, not kind of strangers. These are absolute <laughs> strangers. Not vaguely aware of each other, but nearly actually kind of strangers. It's a Gilbert Cates film about a husband who tries to keep his comatose wife alive by allowing doctors to terminate her pregnancy. Hearing about this, anti-abortion protests, uh, protesters start a legal campaign to gain legal custody of the fetus. This cast rocks. Read it's, this cast. It's a movie from 1991, so this is a rerun of it, <sighs> starring Henry Winkler. Richard Kiley, Patty Duke, Carl Malden, Audrey Lindley, Jennifer Hetrick, uh, Doris Bullock, uh, Jane Atkinson, and uh, Stephen Gilborn, Tony Tony J, James Karen, Mitchell Lawrence, uh, Alan Oppenheimer, Nancy Youngblood. Uh, Yeah, this, uh, sorry, I was laughing at that. (laughs) For that where that whole synopsis went i was like oh there oh and, and then i was like oh shit he's got a terminated pregnancy and a coma oh, like anti oh no gave legal custody on the fetus what are they gonna do with it they already are boarded in <laughs> is it for one of their like look at this this could be a human smash that like <laughs> and subscribe button uh for the brandon peter show summer of 93 at shiva origins Yes, uh, number nine is a tie. There's so many ties this summer. Uh, 48 hours on CBS and Seinfeld on NBC. All right, so from there, 
Uh, we head on to our next uh, very funny movie of this week. Rookie of the Year. Rotate slowly. When Henry Rowan Gardner's arm healed. Funky, but loving. A little strange. Mom, watch this. He learned more about baseball. I'm the new pitcher. And more about life. Kellogg and Rebar go foaming at the mound for a piece of the kid. Which piece? Than anyone ever imagined. Pitcher's got a big butt. Rookie of the Year. Directed by Daniel Stern. Yes, him. Written by Sam Harper. Starring Thomas Ian Nicholas, Gary Busey, Albert Hall, Amy Morton, Dan Hedaya, Eddie Bracken, Bruce Altman, Daniel Stern himself, Robert High Gorman, Colum Jackson Durstein. When an accident miraculously gives a boy an incredibly powerful pitching arm, he becomes a major league pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. Um, I'm pretty sure I went. I, you know, I know I went and saw this in the theater, and I'll admit I probably I think I kind of liked it back then. But uh, I did remember thinking the climax of this movie was a bit much even then. But watching it now, it's terrible. Um, not very good. Every kid on the playground or playing little league uh, did the pitchers got a big butt thing back in the day when that came out this it's i don't something a good movie could be made of this i don't think this one's quite there and daniel stern like almost single-handedly tries to sink his own movie every time he walks into a frame that is and, and, and he i do agree with that yeah. he could have left a lot of those gags on the cutting room floor or even his character and we wouldn't have known a difference but he forces in some of him going big and not working uh thomas equal ian nicholas i sorry to bag on a kid actor but he's not good in this he's he's last action hero bad he's like his reactions are bad um there's like this awful stepfather in it that feels like way too much for this movie and uh i i will i'll say something nice i like the mom in this she's fine she's one of the bright spots uh, I did and then later at the end of this decade, uh, not a very, not that great of a movie itself, but she has a rather endearing and touching performance in Joel Schumacher's eight millimeter uh, with Nicholas. Oh, she, is she the mother? She's the mom in that. She's Holy really, really good. She's a, lot of things. she's a character actress. Yeah, like, but like, she's well. really good in eight millimeter and like scenes that uh, uh, with her work because she's so good in that movie. Um, yeah. Her there, there's a scene stuff. toward the end of that. That still blew, blows my mind is because one of the things like I have never seen this particular scene in any movie ever before. Uh, it's it's the one where he basically calls up her up and asks permission to kill the guy to kill their daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, the, 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 I have issues with that film, but that scene is just spectacular. Yeah, well, and the anyway, one where she talks on. she talks to his wife on the phone, like yeah, yeah. Uh, and of an eight millimeter that'll be on the. The 99 all oh, the time. Is that not good for the rookie of the year conversation we're having? Okay. <laughs> rookie of the year. So, like, there's all the... It doesn't even get too nostalgic of the Wrigleyville or Cubs thing, even though they have license to go crazy there. Um, I don't... I don't it's, it's weird. And this is just, like... I'm just watching this, like, man, this is a dumpy movie. Um, did you guys... You guys didn't like this either, did you? <laughs> right, so, Aaron, talk about... I, I'm gonna 
I'm not that hard on this movie, and I'll say I'll say why. I feel like I've conflated this with Angels in the Outfield a lot in my mind. Um, as far as like kids sports movies go, uh, obviously, like everyone loves Sandlot. I'm not going to speak bad of Sandlot, but Sandlot, yeah. Little Big League was my favorite kids sports movie. As far as like ones involving kids, as far as like kid friendly sports movies, you know, Cool Runnings, obviously. Uh, but I. <laughs> The but this and Angels in the Outfield are they they feel like they're very much in the same place of each other because it involves basically some kind of fantastical element. I think Angels in the Outfield is terrible. Um, I feel like that movie is wildly uneven when it comes to balancing, you know, this basically foster kid has a very heavy plot, yet it Mm -hmm. wants to also have giant gags involving angels. Uh, where this movie. I feel like I've been harder on it just because I've been putting it all together where I agree with you for as far as like Daniel Stern stuff is bad in this movie. I think there is a lot of G whiz acting from Thomas Ian from from the kid in King Arthur's court. Um, And Daniel Stern. I said, yeah, I said Daniel Stern. No, you said G whiz. I was like, yeah, he does that too. Yeah. There's like that stuff is not the best. And I do think a stronger movie could have done more with, you know, him becoming a star and his friends, you know, losing sight of his friends and his mom having like, like there's dramatic stuff in here that I think would work. If like, not, a, yeah, if not for Daniel Stern, seemingly inserting these because of like studio testing, like that's what it feels like to as far, especially as far as his character goes. It's like, mm-hmm. it feels like there's a movie here that had less laughs and they're like, we need more laughs. And they just crammed it and we need to make 90 minutes. So we need to cram in like jokes in the midst of this. <laughs> thing that should sell itself as far as like yeah there's this weird occurrence that makes this thing happen now i will say i do think the baseball stuff works not the third act i agree with you there i think the third act is bad uh, um because they bo- both this and again angels of the outfield involved this like we lost the thing what do we do <laughs> i mean if we just toss a ball at five miles an hour the guy can't hit it of course so we'll win the world series it's like <laughs> Before that, though, I do think the stuff involving Gary Busey yeah. and Apocalypse is now Albert Hall and, and, and the kid and the team, although there's not a lot of team camaraderie here, it's really just the Busey stuff. Like compared to Little Big League or even Hills in the Outfield, which has like McConaughey, among other people, this is pretty much like just the pitchers, which whatever. I still, th- it works for me. The What's his name? Um, Stead. Sted- Steadman was Steadmaker, Stead, what it was, his name? Rocket. Yeah, 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 character yeah, yeah, yeah. With his mustache. I think that stuff is redeemable. It, like, it, it works, and his relationship with the mom works. Like, that, and the, the, like, training him to become a better pitcher. I like the movie does it just because he can throw it fast doesn't make him automatically the best pitcher. Like, it takes a few games for him to actually become good on the team. Like, there's stuff there where... I can see the movie they want to make here to make it a more competent sports movie. Mm-hmm. I can't forgive it for the other things that it's doing that make it more like, let's make sure everybody's laughing. All the kids are laughing in the theater because goofy shit happens. But I do think there's a skeleton of a thing here that could work if done a little bit better. So I don't right. hate this movie because I, you know, if I'm going to show like kids sports movies, this is not, it wouldn't be the bottom of the pile. It wouldn't be the top, but it's still like, ah, it's, it's it's not incompetence. It's just like makes bad choices. 
It made so it that, in a good enough time around the track for you. So like, that that's that's where I was with, with rookie of the year. I didn't I didn't immediately hate watching this. It was just like ah, I get what you're going for. It's just not that great. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I say. I'm like something's there for a, under in better hands to be a solid movie, but it doesn't work out in the execution. Scott, what what were uh, not a fan. I did think you're right. The baseball stuff is fine, especially when the adults are at the fourth at center stage. Gary Busey is good. Amy Morton is good. Even Dan Hedaya is always fun to see him. Yeah, hold on, real quick, yeah. pause because Dan Hedaya. This is, kind of, this is the kind of movie where he plays like the guy that wants to get the team and will make all the money decisions. But it's also the kind of movie where as soon as his plot is thwarted, the next scene you see of he's he's handing he's selling peanuts in the because that's how these things work you're not fired or sent home you're you're tasked with selling peanuts to the audience (laughs) you gotta work your way back up you gotta work your way back up again you're Um, back to this there's probably a rescue offenses he's done in this movie but it's like no just put a peanut thing (laughs) and you know to be fair this is very much what a kid's movie was like in the quote unquote 90s and it was very broad. It was very, you know, very clean cut morally. And you had silly payoffs like that, like, you know, the end of Ever After where Angelica Houston, oh, no, she has to work in the uh, laundromat or whatever. Ugh. Or the end of Daddy Daycare where Angela Houston, Angelica Houston again, she has to work as a traffic guard, blue collar labor. Ha, ha, thank, thank, God for Roald, thank God for Roald Dahl, who would either murder them or have them yes, have a right. cake of heart. To be like take her and then like do their own thing, <laughs> um, but all due respect, Thomas Ian Nichols, who's fine in some other films, it just, it's just it's he- and again again I never had a big impression about him one way or another, and he's terrible in this film. But considering how Daniel Stern directs himself. <laughs> <laughs> I am inclined to think that perhaps he was directed to be as broad yeah. and yeah. kitty as humanly possible, even when it's to the film's detriment. So, like, yeah, he's like, he's like more than the like vein of like handsome kid actor than big, big reaction comedic. Like, if he'd have been playing a more straight drama or a more romantic type role, he'd probably yeah. be better. Like, he's not, he's um, not the big reaction yeah. kid. Little bigly. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I like each of the outfield more than you just because I like the adults and I think there's enough of them that and yeah the whole the concept is absurd it's 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 but that it's just I don't I because I agree with you that's that's what frustrates me about we don't need to talk too much about this that's yeah. what frustrates me about that movie it has really good Danny Glover it has yeah. good stuff go, as Tony Danza's doing maybe some of his best work yeah. Honestly, yeah. but it's so it's such a harsh contrast to be like hey kid i'm your deadbeat dad and the angels have to win the pennants in order for me to to take you out of this foster care program <laughs> like it's it's such a hard it's such a sharp contrast of what well, it's, it's, it's a tough sell because you as the audience know that it's not true so what exactly are we rooting for here and you also have to buy into the idea that the gruff danny glover is going to be like i'll adopt children at the yeah yeah why not um (laughs) we can stop talking (laughs) to be fair i saw it once i thought it was cute whatever and i never gave it another thought but yes but a little big league is fucking awesome um i have the shout factory (laughs) (laughs) blu-ray Both of those films, if I recall, have subplots where the the slightly over the hill star athlete romances his mother. Um, 
Timothy Busfield, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's so people confuse UC and and Nolte for whatever reason. I because I watch both of these sports films, I used to confuse Busfield and Busey together. Yeah. <laughs> Very similar type um, <laughs> and but no, I mean you know, my biggest problem with the film is that I think the kid characters are. And again, I'm willing to blame the director, all due respect, are very broad and obnoxious in that kid film kind of way that was often very, you know, as expected when you thought of a bite-sized targeted movie. You know, I mean, it's 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 hard to remember what a revelation Hilly Joel Osment was in the sixth sense in terms of a kid acting performance, because this is what we were used to. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, it's the kind of thing that bores me because it's just like ah, it's a bunch of white. It's like I don't. It, there's no like relatable element because it's it's this. And you guys are from the Midwest compared to I compared to me. <laughs> it's like there's something somewhat more relatable as far as the the baseballness of this and the fact that it's set in Chicago mm-hmm. or if it, you know they, they all seem to want to emphasize this like you know uh, Americana aspect despite being modern times for that time where I just I don't relate to any of that it's like yeah I like you know throwing the ball around or whatnot or but I'm like I'm not from that area all the kids do not look like me none of them are it's America's pastime oh, Aaron and it, and it meant something no I didn't give a shit and they like <laughs> Chicago you know living in the Midwest Chicago is it's very much its own place like it, yeah it, it has its own vibe within the Midwest that's it has its sure. own mass vigilantes its own killer yeah. clowns I mean, and and Sir was wrong here with this movie. It didn't need his baseball player. It needed a switchblade, Sam. That's what kids' movies needed <laughs> during the summer. And Busey was right there. <laughs> there. Or just bring over Tobin Bell. He's yeah. obviously around. Well, yeah, speaking, of, speaking of Busey here, like we had him last week in the firm, and we have him here, and he's doing two completely different yeah. roles. I'm thinking, I'm looking at him here. I'm like, man, he used to be able to do like the Nicolas Cage thing, where the guy. Yeah. The guy knows what movie was bringing yeah. what movie, and it's like, because he's, he's really good dramatic. Like you always forget how good Busey could be dramatically. Like you go watch that, you go watch Silver Bullet, and he's like excellent in there as this like alcoholic uncle guy. That it's just like it's like wow, man, this guy could could really the Buddy and, Holly story and like all. I don't want to like spend time pinpointing when he went like overboard and it's just like done for him. Black, black sheep, black but, sheep. Yeah, like the mid, the mid, like the two up to the mid nineties. He certainly knows, you know, he's doing his. The I like Pappas and Point Break. I don't, I, yeah. I don't like when he dies in that movie. Like it's fun yeah. to watch. Yeah, but that, that is, you know, he's exactly kind of eccentric. That movie needs. He has right. an eccentric personality, but it's still like it's very capable in these very in the firm last week i liked his character it's sad that he dies in that movie. Well, yeah i mean <laughs> he, he brought a, a nice element of camp in the movie that still kept it a drama too like that was it was yeah. really something that really you can't really pull like not everybody can pull off and then that's a very yeah that's why it's pre- like, a good point that's a good draw yeah. like it's very predator too like yeah. he he can he's like what is this what do you want what kind of beauty you want you get this and like <laughs> he knows how to do it and he's doing it in these like big budget big studio movies whereas nick cage is all he's always done that but you were getting it on the regular i guess like five six times a year and straight to video things uh, or smaller films, but like, yeah, he like, okay, what what's this about? Okay, I know what to do, with and this that's movie. why he works here. Like, I yeah. do. Like, that's what I'm saying about the bit. Like, I do think he works as a. 
I like that he's not mean to the to the kid. To yeah, that's, that's I, I always I, enjoy watching actors that are known for being larger than life and or villainous just play a regular nice guy. Yeah, yeah. that's one of the reasons I like missing as much as I did other issues notwithstanding well like the movie's not great but i have this great feeling when i'm watching him coach the little league team at the end because he was so good in the movie it's it earns it it earns that yeah so it's like that's why i can't like hate this movie like i was just watching weekend at burning it's like i know what a bad movie is this movie is whatever it's not like the dregs by any means and yeah having something like that or having the mother who i do think is effective as well i I, do, I can't defend Bruce Altman at all, but I'd never seen him go that big before, so that's something. Yeah, yeah. Like, he goes wild at the in his like climactic scene in this film, and it's like Bruce Altman, like he usually he's like a kind of a dry wit kind of guy. That's yeah. the, more of his roles, right? So it's like oh, it, it, it really does do the thing that big. annoys the hell out of me in, in any number of movies where the second act turn where he realizes that he, you know, he has lost sight of what is important and needs to learn his lesson. It's one of those situations where he didn't really do anything wrong. It just sort of, the movie has a plot turn where all of a sudden, uh Oh, now he has to feel bad and reconnect with his friends and his mother. And it's like both bad moms movies. It's one of the reasons I don't like them is that, you know, both films in the second act, Myla Kunis is brought low and made to feel guilty and responsible for something that she didn't do and has no control over. Yes, I, I agree with you as far as this movie goes. Yes, there's nothing he's like, it's like, yeah, I'm on, on a professional baseball team. Yeah. I can't make every friend meeting that we're supposed to have right now. Right, yeah. I think it's like, it's not like commercial a, or something. It's like, it's, it's not like it's, I want to money. be here. I want a kid. Yes, I also want to go to the lake and be on a boat with you guys. I'm sorry that my professional baseball career has gotten in the way of he's this. Shooting yeah. a com- he's shooting a commercial where he's lip syncing with Ray Ch- for Ray Charles. Because remember, it was yeah, also, a Pepsi. Like, that, that's what Ray Charles did back in the day. You know what yeah. the lake's not doing? Going anywhere. You know what Ray Charles is doing? Getting the fuck out of here in three hours. So I'm going to shoot this commercial. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, did I like it? No. Am I going to spend? Am I going to? It's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Um, did Daniel Stern ever direct anything else? Nope. This is the one yep. thing. You know why? Because this was bad. Well, that probably. I mean, you know why he directed this to begin no. with. Um, he from I was trying to check multiple sources to make this clear. Yeah. He 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 was seeing the the treatment of Macaulay Culkin on Home Alone, um, and he wanted to make a movie that reflected that. There's the idea of a kid being kind of brought brought into sudden start. Really? Uh, and anyway, he wanted to make a movie about that experience or whatnot. Um, Fascinating. I don't know why I didn't do more beyond maybe just. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not poorly directed. I don't know, but it's like the film comes together. I guess I don't know. Maybe they yeah. just didn't want. They just didn't want to make more movies. That's huh. fascinating. It's the first also, they really wanted. They really wanted Joe Pesci for Gary Busey, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or like maybe. I guess it was, who else would he be? I guess like one of the uh, yeah, but like Daniel Stern didn't want to like have a. Well, Dan Hedaya's character could have been Joe Pesci. Yeah. And uh, oh no! Oh, oh, and they wanted okay, but the the compromise was like getting John Candy because it's like, well, that's the they're not together in Home Alone, so it's like whatever we can get John Candy. Yeah. He's got what Sternska also did Celtic Pride. Does he have any more sports movies that he did? And Breaking Away with bikes. Breaking Away, yeah. Um, Stern in sports. Is he did like he certainly had the kid thing going. He has like that can't that um 
Oh, that, that bushwhacked. That, bushwhacked. There we go. That yeah. movie's actually kind of funny. <laughs> like that bushwhacked, where it's like apostrophe D at the end. Is that what it's spelled like as well? I saw, yeah. Yeah, I think he was he was trying to contend with Christopher Lloyd for kids because there's like Cam Nowhere with Lloyd. Mm. Oh, we're yeah. taking turns. But Daniel Stern never got his switchblade. Well, I guess he's the Black Bandit, so never mind. You got to do yeah. it twice. He already did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this and Cool Runnings were the last two movies released while he was still alive. But for John Candy? Yeah, John Candy. Because Wagons East and Canadian Bacon both opened Bacon, after Bacon. he died. Yeah. He's great. Cool Runnings. I mean, I guess oh, that's yeah, a yeah. curtain call. Is yeah. Yeah. Yes. You want, you want to see me like get emotional watching John Candy. It's watching his oh, yeah. speech. Yes, when he goes to the office of the Olympics, just like, don't punish my guys, punish me. <laughs> he gets back. <laughs> they call. Hey, they, <laughs> we're back in. It's a, that's, a, that's a good role. I like, I like him a lot. And as a character that does not exist. <laughs> <real life>. <laughs> what? <laughs> Complete fabrication. <My> childhood. <laughs> no, almost none of that movie is true. <laughs> oh, I'm going to fail this book report. Ah. And I love that one to say Dexter Fletcher hit Eddie of the Eagle was inspired to make Eddie of the Eagle because of how much he, he and his family love cool runnings. <laughs> it was the same Olympics. <laughs> runnings, man. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Well, uh, we so much time working here. We have time left for, for the biggest movie of the week. <laughs> but before we get to that, we will go to the biggest songs of the week, Aaron, with uh, Casey Kasem's top 40, the 10 of that 40. Big news this week. Janet Jackson has been knocked out of the number one spot. Oh my God. Finally, by SWV with Week, which moves up a spot. Janet Jackson falls to number two with That's the Way Love Goes. Whoop, there it is by Tag Team, making its way up a little bit there to number three. Uh, uh, UB40s Can't Help Falling in Love, number four. Number four. Five, Knockin' to Boots by H-Town has slid a couple spots down. Show Me Love by Robin S. is still at number six. Uh, Rob Stewart's dropping to number seven with Have I Told You Lately. Number eight, Dr. Dre just hanging in there with Dre Day. Uh, at number nine, moving up a spot, switching spots, number nine and ten with I'll Never Get Over You, parentheses, Getting Over Me by Expose, and f- rounding out Come Undone by Duran Duran, um, who once sung a song with the chorus, dance into the fire. We will go in the line of fire. Oh, that was... <laughs> <sighs> oh, yeah. It was one of our nation's darkest moments. And he was there. The only activation who ever lost a president. 30 years later. Do you really have the guts to take a bullet, Frank? The hell is this? He's back. This guy's going to make a try. And I've got to be there. In the line of fire. I see you standing over the grave of another dead president. Clint Eastwood. That's not going to happen. In the line of fire. Rated R. At theaters July 9th. Directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Written by Jeff McGuire. Starring Clint Eastwood, John Malkovich, Rene Russo, Dylan McDermott, Gary Cole, Fred Thompson, John Mahoney, Greg Allen Williams, and Tobin Bell as Mendoza! 
<laughs> I forgot. I forgot Peterson had died, and then I got yeah. to the end. It's like, what has Peterson done lately? They're like, oh, that's right. He died. That felt so bad all of a sudden. Oh, Secret Service agent Frank Horrigan couldn't save Kennedy, but he's determined not to let a clever assassin take out this president. All right, before we get in this, this movie fucking rules. Scott, fuck yeah. Tell us about in the line of fire. The fugitive can go straight to hell. The best thriller of 1993 is in the light of fire. Damn it. That was me when I was 13. But no, uh, <laughs> I love this movie as a kid. And it more or less still holds up. I think it's a terrific action adventure thriller. John Malkovich is wonderful. He's one of the great. He's one of the better by, you know, post diehard post Batman, you know, scene stealing slithery villains. Um, the film looks great. Uh, even though they're, you know, a little, you know, the age difference is a little weird. I think Russo and Eastwood have decent chemistry. Um, um, I think it's, 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 it's the prototypical of what I think of, of what a big Hollywood movie used to be. And I know I whine about that a lot, but, you know, this used to be just, you know, it's a Saturday night at the movies. It's just a freaking great one. Um, the score is terrific. Uh, Dylan McDermott is very good in a smaller supporting role. This might have been the first time I noticed him. I don't recall offhand. You thought it um, was good? He's fine. I mean, he'd go on to other bigger, better things. I'm I'm uh, with Scott on this, and I'll tell you why in a later. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think he plays a a I don't want to say a wimp or whatever, but he, he play he's not he, he plays a a a uh you know fuck it, I'll go on that later. Um but yeah, uh, it's a great high concept. Obviously, it's from a different time when the very idea of, you know, protecting those who were in political power from lunatics that would try to kill them for whatever reason was a pretty apolitical concept. Um, and again, it's one of those weird thrillers that as much as people like to talk about action movies being very conservative, and I think overall they probably are, there were a lot of films in the 90s about basically how on the American government, you know, through its corruption and duplicity, and this was theoretically when Bush and Reagan were in office, created all these monsters that were coming home to roost. You know, The Rock, Under Siege, and The Line of Fire, where the idea was, or, you know, even the Rambo series to a certain extent, which is why I've always been conflicted calling those films, you know, Reaganist propaganda, even though Reagan himself, you know, took Rambo, you know, as his own kind of thing, because at the end of the day, you know, the governments that these anti-heroes or outright villains are angry about, well, Clinton wasn't in charge then. <laughs> the other guys mm -hmm. were. Um, and, but beyond that, it's, I just think it's a, just a spectacular crackling action adventure picture from somebody who was very, very good at that. You know, I, I think he was without really, becoming a marquee name necessarily was one of our better just big blustery act you know popcorn directors and i'll stop rambling because i i re really when we're talking about a film that thinks i have nothing to say but just cost us superlatives um it's my favorite clint eastwood movie oh okay Okay. Take that, Leone. Uh, <laughs> He's not going to come here and give you a high five, Scott. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, well, I, maybe if I say I love a perfect world. All right. Even a underrated one. Good on you. Night and the good and evil still sucks. Sorry. It was no absolute. 
<laughs> well, you can blame Jay it on Edgar Spacey blows. now. All right, Aaron. I like Hereafter. I do, actually. Um, if that brown pigeon flies off before that white one, I know a thing about pigeons. <laughs> um, I oh. don't disagree with Scott, except for the fact that it's going to get blown out of the water by the fugitive in a few weeks. But <laughs> the, the movie is exactly what Scott said as far as being just a crack in action picture. It's a mm-hmm. three-star, well-acted movie. I mean, it, it is doing... More than three. It's three and a half star, whatever. It's a good, it's really good at doing the thing that it's trying it's to do. It's a four. It's a four. For, I mean, four out of five for me, but. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not four, four out, out of four. four damn it. If, no, you, know, by, if you say that, then I'm going to say three and a half out of four. Okay. Um, it is, it, it, for what it's doing, it's doing it incredibly well. Um, we'll talk about Eastwood and uh, like the, 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 it stands. Like, yes, he's really good in this. And what is what? His last movie that he acts in that he doesn't direct or produce? Um, which is wild. Other than like trouble with the game, although he probably produced he that. produced that. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, this is last like you just hired me on, and I'm going to do the movie kind of movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, he the the fact that this movie tries to get away with him like wooing over Rene Russo, it's like all right, fine, whatever. Like this doesn't it doesn't need to be here. This movie could be an hour, you know, fifty and not just over two without this stuff, but. What am I going to say? There's no women in this movie. So, yeah, put put one <laughs> at least in this film. Um, you have one of these great 90s casts of like everybody, somebody, which I quite enjoy. Um, as far as the Dylan McDermott thing goes, the thing about him is I don't like him in general. I think he just really bothers me in movies. So seeing him play a guy that gets just de- emasculated <laughs> over and over again that's is the very satisfying. That is that like that's what that's why I think American Horror Story is one of his best roles because he plays like a guy that very easily goes insane to the point of like just screaming into mirrors, be like, "What does this house want from me?" It's just really it's just like yes, I don't like to see him in authority whatsoever. So the fact that the beginning of this movie is this guy gets captured, nearly suffocated to death, and then has PTSD through the rest of the movie is very entertaining to watch. Um, and it's a good counterbalance to Clint Eastwood, who's seen it all because he was at JFK's assassination. So it's like, that's great. Malkovich is fucking scary in this movie. <laughs> He's so good. He's so good Wait, wearing costumes and noses and wigs, taunting him on the phone. His teeth. Like, I get that he had, yeah, teeth. I get that he has like a modus operandi as far as like, I was, a, you know, whatever, I was involved in stuff and now they threw me out the window. But I like that. But regardless of that, he's just there to fuck with you throughout the movie. Like that's the whole purpose of his character. It's like let's give this killer some like life. All right, let's just have him talk to Eastwood a lot throughout the film, to the point where even the end of the movie is like he's still talking. Like, it's <laughs> I think there's a line about that. This is so great. It's such a well earned like supporting actor. Like I love that two supporting actor nominations are like the cool like other side character in the movie. This and Tommy Lee Jones. It's mm-hmm. like that's such you don't get that now. We're like. The clearly most entertaining character in a blockbuster film gets an Academy Award nomination. That's so satisfying. I love this. Got three nominations. It's got an editing nomination and a writing nomination. Well, That's like top getting a writing nomination. You get it's like true. Johnny Depp in Pirates. He got nominated. Yeah, yeah. Is that such like that's such a force where it's like how could you not nominate this? Yeah. Like uh, 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 Robert Downey Jr. is blackface. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's that's Russell Crowe. Yeah. Johnny Blackface. Um, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I like what that act, but even then, that's still like you get one of those every couple of years. Yep. This is a summer where like two of those were great. True. Like, yeah. Let's get both of them in here. They're both awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, Let me the do. action of this movie is better than I remembered it being. I haven't watched this in a while. And I didn't see this when I was young. I caught up with this when I was maybe a teenager. 
and then like like later on I started watching it more because it's just whatever it's great uh, but like the action is for a movie like this that doesn't require like shootouts it's more chases uh, it's really solid because Peterson knows what the fuck he's doing here like he's really good at just making tension out of you know elderly essentially elderly people <laughs> running around on Jarajal fueled action <laughs> and I've always loved the climax of this movie I've always loved the the kind of showdown between the two at the end and the the the, um, the maneuvers that Eastwood's doing to like make it go his way uh it's just this is yeah i it's a really a really solid really fun summer movie for sure yeah this movie right. what no it's, like, it's an incredibly satisfying climax yeah first yeah. of all obviously it pays off with him jumping in front of the bullet and that's fair that's exactly it. right and that's you get this great off? yeah yeah and you get this great you know fisticuff fight in a glass elevator, which ends with a glorious death plunge, where you see him land, by the way. That's a yeah. lot, even in R-rated movies. I mean, you, you know, bam. But the one bit, like, right in the climax, which is where, this is classically his cockian, which is, you know, when he's trying to fiddle with his stupid wood gun, and he drops one of the bullets, and, like, everyone in the audience, like, thought, they, they gasped. Like, oh, wait, wait, I'm not rooting for that. <laughs> right. No, yeah, that's true. And speaking of his cockian, there's a whole, there's a whole segment from Vertigo taken out of here, too, when he... Yeah jump on the roofs which i had in my notes like oh dylan mcdermott can't even play dead convincingly <laughs> so um he, he he works in this movie because he's surrounded by such talent yeah so much that it's making up but like i like aaron i struggle with him i will get I, i'll say something nice he's pretty good in this movie called the clove hitch killer um he works in that I one get to catch up with yeah like yeah. but he normally some a lot of times it's gotta be the right situation for me for him to work. Um uh but yeah, you're you're right. On paper, that character is terrific and stuff with that. Um Eastwood's awesome. I've I've watched this, I'm like, he's gotta be one of our best on-screen swearers of all time. Like Aaron and I sharing the clip of or John Malkovich, like, I got the rendezvous with you. And he, and he's like talking shit to him and then Clint Clint Eastwood's like, You got a rendezvous with my ass. And there's other um, calls like that too. Um, Eastwood plays it. It's there's this is a character that I think is great and works well that could never be written as they are today because he's like this weird balance of sexist and thoughtful progressive. Like I can't tell yeah. what the hell he is, but I like that. I like it's an odd. It feels odd. Like he's like leering and all like you know hits on Renee Russo because she is the female in the room and she looks fine. And, but he's also like cares about her career and would be willing to make the sacrifices on himself for her. Clint Eastwood, he's cool as a cucumber. Yeah, but like, like he's, he's Clint but, Eastwood, where he's like, I'll talk I, to a chair and make fun of Obama. Also, I made a movie about a million dollar baby about euthanasia. Like, yeah, guys can do anything. But it's like this guy's real. Like now, you have to write one way or the other way. You can't write just. You can't write this guy who's, you know. Oh, unless he's the villain that is like all for like some sort of cause, but, but he cackles at the lady as she walks by. <laughs> so guess um, what? Oh, he's they a, remove that to begin with. But, yeah, know, they remove what? personality. They don't, because it, because their people are worried that that's author endorsement nowadays. So they're afraid to write it. Um, and now we get these plain like, this is who I am. This is who I am. 
Okay. Well, you know, there's no um, common ground. The only way there's to no do just... it is if you have like if you have like Mad Max, where it's so stoic, there's nothing for him to do beyond just react. With yeah, himself. but Mad Max isn't like commenting on Furiosa's legs while he's doing it too. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not what, I, what I'm saying is the only the only way I hear what you're saying. The only what I'm saying is the only thing that can make this like can make that enjoyable is by making it some kind of anti-hero or whatnot where you don't have to worry about that to begin like you can, right. i can still like i can like the character because he's not required to have that bit of personality right it's, it's own thing compared to various superheroes that all seem to have nothing else on their mind except Man. stop the bad guy <laughs> it's like men, men can't find women attractive anymore and women can't find men attractive anymore because then we get in trouble like it's like no we literally do even beyond you that it's that. just like the kinds of jokes they're making or the kind right. of ways they relate to people, it's very surface level. <laughs> like there's right, no, yeah. so, I think there's no, there's no part of me that thinks like these guys hang out on the weekend. Like, right. And I think without get, bringing everything back to Marvel, I do think there's a shift maybe after age of Ultron where the characters stopped being specific and, 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 you know, they might make inappropriate jokes or have inappropriate opinions. And the first Guardians of the Galaxy basically makes a joke about, a, you know, Peter's ship having semen all over it. Right. Because apparently he has lots of casual sex. Tony Stark in Age of Ultron makes a joke about first night privileges. Well, look at and, look at even the first Iron Man. Like, that's yeah, like, he's an holy asshole. crap, sex exists in he's this world? He's such an asshole that I didn't like the movie, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> it's like sex um, exists in this world. And I, wow. I do think... In a skewed way, it's not unlike what happened with Glee in a strange way, which is that the first season where Glee was like this very bitterly satirical and pessimistic and 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 almost deconstructive thing, but then it kind of became tagged as this representational milestone. So like all the characters to a certain extent had to be more noble or more less bitchy because they were considered major representatives of a given demographic in a way that I thought was very, you know, especially if you go back and watch the first season where it's this nasty, bitchy little show. Um, and again, that's, 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 that may just be confined to a very specific part of mainstream pop culture entertainment that wants to be all things to all people. Um, but I will say and this was where that joke that I made earlier, there was a fun bit when the film was coming out. If you ever watched the first teaser, the very first teaser, it's basically narration and it comes up to, you know, this man who failed to stop the assassination of Kennedy is now being haunted by this other guy who's going to try to kill the president. And then it cuts to Clint Eastwood picking up a phone and going, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> in the line of fire and the gimmick was that they were trying to make that line the next go ahead make my day oh but it was so audiences were desperate audiences were correctly laughing their asses off at it because it was so pronounced and obvious that they severely toned that down he says that you know just very casually you know it's not that's gonna not gonna happen. happen i'm on to you and then they move on to the next scene so it's like part-time uh, yes <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, you guys are, I don't, I can't, I don't need to sing Malkovich any more praises. He's freaking great. Uh, but like, is this one of the first movies that really utilized the killer and the like cop having the chat on the phone like this is, this, I mean, this is the crux of this movie is these two talking. And I feel like this was a lesson learned from this movie, this big hit movie that filtered into a lot of other ones. I mean, like, I, there's McLean and and Gruber walkie talking, but that's intermittently as he's talking to other people, like other cops. 
Um, well, I, I think it, there are movies where they have individual scenes where the hero and villain chit chat. I mean, even the first Dirty Harry, there's an extended sequence when he's making the drop for the ransom and running all yeah. around town, and they're chatting the entire time. Right, but not not that's one scene. But this yes. is multiple. This is multiple calls. Well, it's this, a good way to save money. Yeah, I mean, if you ever want, if you were like curious, like what would John Malkovich as the Riddler look like? I feel like this is what John Malkovich as the Riddler looks like, um, in more of a Matt Reeves Batman Riddler. But it's still, like, this is kind of feels like it. But I'm like, okay, this is like Insomnia does this. Uh, that yes. movie does both versions with the killer and the, uh, the conversation. I, I think the there's phone. a feeling that you know, and for what it's worth, the idea of having this larger than life scene-stealing villain outside of maybe the Bond films was a relatively new idea before Die Hard and Batman. Yeah. And then you started seeing, you know, that that becoming part of the course. Timothy Dalton and the Rocketeer, Al Pacino and Dick Tracy, uh, even like Tim Curry and the Three Musketeers, which come out several months after this, mm-hmm. where he was just, you know, and obviously Alan Rickman and, and Robin Hood. So I, I think that you're right in that the trope was new partially because the, the subgenre was almost new. The idea of having this larger than life scene stealing villain that was going to captivate audiences. Um, and, but yeah, you're right. The idea is okay, you have this great villain, you have this great hero. We got to find some way for screen. them. Yeah, the yeah whole time. even if they yeah. can't be like, we have to find some way for them to interact. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, the brilliant, you know, the bit of in Die Hard where they end up meeting under aliases. Yeah, because you know they have to. You know, it's a way for them to meet before the end of the movie. And obviously, with heat, well, there's no real reason for them to sit and chit chat. But they gotta sit and chit chat, and it's fucking De Niro and Pacino for the first time. Right? How about he just pulls them over? They have a, you know, a cup of coffee together. Now, L.A. Heat, the film that Heat was based on, of course, had the same thing. So, you know, lucky break. Yeah, this is all, this is all separate from the actual thing, though. At this point, as far as the yeah, the idea of a talking killer that's constantly interacting with the hero. I was going to bring up Dirty Harry as like that, and Die Hard as that. I mean, it's more, it's a natural extension of where it started from other from other films, and this yeah, it's a pivot point as far as how much interaction you get. So you get to like Kevin Spacey and Seven's another example as well. Like you get more of this to work with as far as going that especially because there's an oscar nomination involved it's like yeah make it more eccentric and big that's mm-hmm. a way to you know give get a a prestige actor especially in the 90s when we're losing out on the big muscly actors and we're getting more character actors or you know authoritative actors that can act up a storm with these kind of roles compared to just someone that's really strong yeah because speed has this element to it yeah, too speed with and, oh yeah um die hard with a vengeance though that's more it's not. Well, I mean, the gimmick is that he's calling him on the phone to give him challenges. I mean, challenges, it's, you know, yeah. So there's it, challenge it's, based. Not, you know, quantity, sure. There's less, but it's yeah. still that's the idea. Yeah, but yeah, I'd say like speed is really close to this. Um, yeah, no, I was just wondering that. I'm like, I wonder if this is like the genesis of like, well, they can't meet until the end, but we need them to like to be really cool to watch them talk to each other, even though on the day they're probably not talking to each other when they're filming. But when we edit it together, it's gonna look awesome. So, yeah, but no, I, I like like this movie like never gets old. It moves really fast. Um, yeah, I, it's a it's fun ass movie. In the line of fire, and I was talking to somebody recently. I was uh, doing a recording. They were before this, and they were like, "I was like, yeah, we're on a in the line of fire." Like, oh, I used to love that movie. I'm like, it's still awesome. Like, oh, yeah, we watched it day. probably a year or two ago during you know. Was it during lockdown or after? Whatever. Point being, it's we caught up with it, 
and it still holds up. You know, um, I watch it fresh on the 4K, and it's great. There you go. <laughs> it looks wonderful. <laughs> you know, it's still hopefully holding up for people is our segment of Yancey's Tales from the Video Store with Yancey Burns telling us more from the video <laughs> store. <laughs> Well, this is where the world-famous video archives was. And this is where it is now. So why don't we go inside and take a look? So I was a big fan of this one, but I loved it. And right around the same time, my dad, who died in 1990, early 1994, so a few years before that, my dad had gotten me a, a, a season pass, which is 20 uh, rentals at video archives. I had no idea about the connection between Archives and, and Reservoir Dogs, mm -hmm. but I knew that Archives had all the Kurosawa movies and all the uh, Woody Allen movies on VHS. Mm -hmm. And this is when I was making the transition from being a comic book guy to being a movie guy. And and my dad saw this happening. I had rented the big double VHS tapes of The Godfather 1 and 2 and The Deer Hunter and from uh, the library. And so he got me. Uh, he got me a season pass, 20 rentals at video archives. So I started renting these movies and I started seeing these, uh, reservoir dog stuff all over the place and putting two and two together. I go, Oh, that that's that guy. I kept reading that he worked at a Manhattan beach video store. Mm -hmm. That's why I recognized him because I'd seen him in my life before as the guy working the counter that we'd rented Amos and Andy from that's that video archives guy. That's crazy. You know, <laughs> anyway, Few years later, after my dad's died, Video Archives moves to Hermosa Beach, right at the same time that I'm moving back to Hermosa Beach. And Video Archives lasted in Hermosa Beach only for, I don't know, six months. I'd become really good friends with Robert, the guy who worked there at this point. So he uh, managed to get me a job there. So I worked there for the last few months. I worked there the summer that Pulp Fiction came out. And obviously, I sought a job there because of Tarantino having worked there. I was lucky enough to be friends with this guy. And I knew enough about movies at the time that I got to work there and it was, it was a lot of fun for a little while. And then they closed down. Um, I was the last guy working the counter when that store closed down and it was the same electrician who came to my apartment all the time and turned off my electricity when I hadn't paid the bill. Huh. He came into video archives right after a guy had rented Bronx tale, which is the last movie that anyone ever rented from video archives was Robert De Niro's movie. He came in said, sorry, we're turning off the power. And it was the last time. The power had been turned off a few times. I never know why that store wasn't run better at this point when Tarantino had become so famous and Roger Avery now, but it, it just it wasn't run very well and it was allowed to run into the ground. But those of us who worked there when it closed were, were going to have to come back in a month or so or, or, or were asked to come back in a month or so to pack up all the VHS tapes and all the porno tapes and, and just get them out of there. Until then, I and maybe someone else, probably the other people who worked there longer than me, had a set of keys, had keys to, to video archives. I could go anytime I wanted to for a period of about a month. Oh, wow. I could go in at two o'clock in the morning and just take whatever I wanted and watch it. And like, that's when I first watched Frankenstein versus the Wolfman. I like in the shadowy video archives, I went and got the number and I grabbed the copy and I went home and watched it. It was a very interesting time, you know? Um, and it, it seems all made up to me, but it's all, it was all this funny little. Funny little moment. And now we are at our box office for the week to see how uh, the films this week stacked up. Scott. Coming in number one was The Firm, 
which earned $18 million, dropping just 29% in its second weekend to bring its 10-day total up to $74 million. It would eventually earn $158 million domestic. And because box office mojo sucks now, we don't have the worldwide here. So hold on a second. Stop. You keep going there. Go to the numbers. Stop giving them traffic. <laughs> oh, I know. It's force of habit. A 270 the worldwide. <laughs> They're both bookmarked. Um, and in second place, we have Jurassic Park, which in its fifth weekend of release would earn $15.3 million, dropping just 19%, adding 69 screens, nice, uh, to bring its total up to $236 million uh, for an eventual total of $357 million domestic and about 925-ish worldwide, give or take. Uh, to eventually become the biggest grossing movie of all time globally. Um, third place, In the Line of Fire, coming in with an excellent $15.3 million. It was a nail-biter for second and third place, to the extent that matters, in one th- in a lot less screens, only 1,903 screens. Hmm. Um, but it had the biggest per-screen average in the top whatever, uh, with 8,000 per screen. Um, it would leg out like a motherfucker because it rocks, it would eventually earn $102 million. Uh, that would be his only his second $100 million grocer after Unforgiven. This was sort of seen as his, hmm. his not the cash-in, but it's like, he's back with Unforgiven, and he's we're taking him seriously again, and he's it's a big comeback film, and, and this was sort of the payoff to that in a skewed way. Um, yeah, because it's like he's done with the Dirty Harry series. Yeah. We spent the 80s kind of floundering, being like, I'll direct some stuff that's kind of junky action, other stuff that's maybe bids of prestige, like Bird. Yeah. Then, like, Unforgiven finally, like, hits big in, like, all categories. Because it's like, the oh, fascinating he's thing the thing thing again, but he's also got prestige, and it's also fucking cool. Like, yeah. It worked. Like, as a movie. And Summer 82 at 40 had Firefox, and this was a much better. Yeah, contribution than we had last time. Um, the weird thing about Eastwood is that literally the second, you know, the, literally the half of his career, which is what 50, 60, 60 years or whatever, has been you know basically epilogue. Like up, he's past his prime. He's reti- about to retire. <laughs> you know, he's looking back on his actions with melancholy and regret, and you know, it's a deconstruction of the hero myth and the Western hero. And it's like he's almost had more of that than him being the the thing. He's almost yeah. like the Disney princesses, which is that you know, this is cool as a cucumber. Like I said, he can do it. He can turn it off. Turn out. <laughs> you know, look, at, look at look at Cry Macho. He's great in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's really good at it. Um, no, I mean he's 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 but you know he you know he spent the last 25, 30 years making these you know one last ride type pictures in a skewed way, which yes. is I think part of it just you know we all expected him to eventually retire and he never did. And every time he was seemed to be out for the count, he'd pull out an unforgiven or a mystic river or something like that. Oh, these woods back. Yeah, because uh, like, right when it hits 1980, like mid-80s. His yeah. hair turns and he just always looks old. Like, right. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like, yeah, what else is he going to play? Oh. He's not going to play a young whippersnapper. Like, <laughs> this film play. earned $187 million worldwide on a $40 million budget because, you know, movies made money back then. Oh, sorry. I interrupted you. You were saying. I was saying, no, I'm good. Oh, okay. Uh, number four Slips in Seattle, $10 million in weekend three. Um, it would earn 59 million so far, bringing its totals up to 126 domestic eventually. And you're right, I should be just doing the numbers. Mm-hmm. Fucking box office mojo. 
You just delete one bookmark, and then you don't have to go to that bookmark. That's true. I should. Uh, 228 million worldwide. Um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in sixth place with $6 million for an $18 million 10-day total. Dennis the Menace in seventh place with 5.5 in weekend three for a $35 million 17-day 17 day total. Number eight was Son-in-Law with $4.8 million for a 40, $15 million 10-day total. Weekend and Bernie's 2 would open with $4 million in 1,334 screens. It would eventually earn about twelve uh, about uh, $13 million domestic. And it was not a hit. The first one I think made about thirty million worldwide. Thirty, yeah. Mm-hmm. On a, uh, but I assume it like must have done great VHS and TV. Oh, it did thirty. It did, yeah, it, did, it, it was, did thirty domestic. I think. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. one of those did well in theaters and just mm-hmm. was very popular as a casual rental on VHS. And then in tenth places, what's love got to do with it? With three point three. Last oh. action hero is gone. Yes, that just. Good it dropped. Well, son-in-law came out, so yes. Yeah, right. And by the way, uh, in the line of fire, opening in July of 1993, in third place, fifteen million dollars. In fifteenth place, in weekend forty-nine with ninety-four thousand dollars, Unforgiven. <laughs> there we go. Um, it would bring its total to one hundred and one million dollars domestic. And I think in the line of fire was his biggest grossing film up until Gran Torino. Uh, oh, wow. I believe so, yeah. And then that would, of course, be his biggest until American Sniper, which, of course, he did not star in, but whatever. Uh, so starring vehicles, this is still, I think, in second place. You know, not adjusted oh. for inflation, obviously. That would be the monkey movies. Mm-hmm. Which, um, I don't think people understand with, like, people, like, because, uh, <laughs> you know, East... That's the third movie we need. Every which way. That's the third movie. which way, but die. That's that's the screenplay we need to There write. you go. <laughs> Oh, Eastwood, like, I think people don't realize, like, because um, we were like, you know, his movies aren't like always like colossal hits and stuff like that. And why would you keep making movies? But like something like a like a Woody Allen type figures out where their movies don't cost much to make. So they don't yeah. have to make much back. And if they lose, they don't lose that much. And the next one probably makes up for it. And that's why you keep yeah. going. They They don't really rarely does Clint take like something like huge on that's like insanely expensive, like Cry Macho. I, d- I doubt that costs that much. Uh, easy COVID era release. Um, He's the kind of guy that were like Jersey Boys is a flex. Yeah, like, yeah. And that movie's not huge. Wrong guy to or, do that movie. Yes, yeah, so it's a bad movie. But I mean, it's that's the kind of thing where it's like that's where he wants to get a little fancy. Yeah. But that's like, what's that say? Is that J? Is that the J Edgar year also? Uh, no, that was 2011 Jersey Boys yeah. or 2010. Wait, no, 2011, and then Jersey Boys was 2014. Oh, so that's the American Sniper year. Okay, so he yes. counts that immediately. <laughs> that's, that's well, the American Sniper is, yeah, the end of 2014. It goes wide. Yeah. It goes bonkers in early 2015. It's a, yeah, 2014 movie. Um, <laughs> by the way, adjusted for inflation, at least up until 2019, when Box Office Mojo crashed. Uh, every which way but lose, $333 million in adjusted inflation grosses. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> any which way you can. 240 million adjusted grosses. Yeah. And in third place, in the line of fire with 226. Hmm. Yeah, this is just lined up for a revival of the of Clyde. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be God, one way to get I'd back see, on his Zaslav Christmas card list. I'd see that so quickly. Oh my god, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd call his favorites to get to the beer. Oh my god, <laughs> uh, the premise would be great. It'd just be they'd be in the truck. He's all old, and Clyde's old too. Oh my god, and <laughs> was it Ned Beatty? 
Oh, damn it, he's not here. He wouldn't be able to make it. Bring him back. We'll de-age him a little bit. It'll be. Oh my god! <laughs> this <is gonna> be <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Shh, they might be listening. Oh my! I hope they are. <laughs> I don't need a dirty Harry legacy sequel. Give me, give me the Clyde trilogy. <laughs> I don't need. I guess. I, that, need, I guess that's a lesser of two evils. I don't need Clint Eastwood to pass on the rights of Dirty Harry to his son, Block of Wood Eastwood. Let's just, just give me more Clyde movies. <laughs> Clock of Wood Eastwood. Yeah, Scott Eastwood, you know, the guy that got killed in Fast X this summer. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. We saw him get killed. He came back and got killed. So so it raised the stakes. Do we know that for sure? Or are we just guessing? It's in the trailer. Guessing. Are you this, sure that's this him? Is coming out in July after Fast X dominated the box office and showed America that Scott Eastwood gets murdered in the first act. <laughs> Period. By Jason, I'm not sharing a scene with you, Momoa. I'm not kidnapping you. I'm killing you. Yeah, he gets his, he puts on his let his 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 alligator skin jacket. Looks at Scotty. This one is like, and then he carries on. I can't believe you killed our friend from the submarine ice adventure. <laughs> you murdered what you call it, Mister Nobody? No, no, not him. That the, the other title, not Paul Walker. Who? Never mind. <laughs> you know, from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes. I do hope that Fast X has another ridiculous scene where they explain why Brian isn't Brian isn't there. Because I do enjoy I do enjoy those where it's like, where are the kids? They're the safest place possible. They're with Brian. <laughs> like, guys, that this is, universe is like that. your neighbor. You see him all the time. <laughs> For one thing, he was living off the grid, so he doesn't see him all the time, Scott. He's <laughs> ridiculous. Also, why would it not be safe? <laughs> the guy that ran a safe through Brazil and mm-hmm. was a was was a, was it, went to jail willingly. Went to jail willingly, <laughs> and I and somehow took, defeated took, Tony Jaw. Took down Tony Jaw. Yeah, I think there's the, I think the kids are safe, Scott. Okay, <laughs> crazy guy. Brian! He joined them oh, for dinner. Right. I don't like. Yeah, you're just yeah he showed up at dinner. The exactly. Last, yeah. You're making crazy eyes. Like you make sense. Nobody else. <laughs> no, nobody else drives Brian's car, but Brian. What are you? We're sorry that your family's not as strong as the Toretto slash. Connors. Connors. Yes. O'Connors. Mia had to help with dinner, so she got there early. Brian doesn't cook. Yeah. <laughs> Kids want to uh, play. It's fine. But anyway, so that'll do it for uh, the weekend. It was July 9th through 11th of 1993. Scott and Aaron, thank you for joining me, of course. Before we sign out, let people know where they can keep up with you, Aaron. You can find everything I do at my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. I write for leaveentertainment.com and why so blue. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. I also host the podcast out now with our name, my friend Abe. Talk about weekly movie releases and probably reflect on the great times we had with Fast X. All right, Scott. Uh, I am at therap.com. I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson, and that's basically where you find me. All right. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD, written work at whysoblue.com. Next week, hold me like the River Jordan. As uh, listeners wonder if we give the benefit of the doubt to Hocus Pocus. All that and more as the summer of 93 at 30 continues. We don't. It's the summer of 93 at 30. 
Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of and News Themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.